was a bit younger, I was, and I first started writing songs. I was wanting to write worship songs for God, and obviously, you know, the Psalms can be very inspirational for that. And I decided that I would write, I, like I had in mind that I would write a number of songs based on the Psalms. And I thought for myself that it would be really cool to, in a way, number them in a way that they're like my Psalms. So the first one I brought out I called Psalm 1. It had nothing to do with what was in Psalm 1, which was what became then confusing when there were people who wanted to play this song at church, at their church, and yet they look up Psalm 1 and go, this has nothing to do with what the psalm that's written in the Bible here. And I was kind of like, well, that sounded like a cool idea at the time, but it maybe wasn't at the time. But I really do love this psalm. There's something about it that, in a sense, resonates with me, and it has this kind of proverb-type feel to it, this sort of, you know, contrast of the, the blessed and righteous with the wicked. It, it kind of reminds me of the wise and foolish builders sort of story too. You know, the wise man built his house on the rock, and, and the foolish one built it, the house on the sand. It's kind of got that feel to it as you read it. And it's really easy to remember and something I think that's really practical to place into our lives. And as I said, it sort of paints this sort of black and white picture of this blessed and, um, blessed and righteous versus the wicked. And I just want to say just really quickly in one sentence, often when we get these black and white pictures, we need to put this in the context of life, which is often not black and white. And if we're really honest with ourselves as humans, there's times where we make the right choices in the blessed path, and there's times where we might take the wicked path in a sense uh, that, that this kind of talks about. But I love the, the phrase, but for the grace of God, right? Because when we think about it, living a flourishing life isn't, always, isn't about us, but it's about what God has done in our life and the work that Jesus has done. And we always need to keep that in context when reading something like this or seeing something especially that has this kind of black and white type thing about it. But I, there's some things that we can learn about living in life, and it starts with a warning. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. To find a blessed life is firstly, don't take that path. Don't take the path of the sinner's path. Don't make your decisions based on worldly advice or wisdom. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. We can easily, sometimes that path can look so inviting. Sometimes that way can seem so good at the time. And sometimes it's so easy to fall in that. I think of sitting in the seat of mockers. That can be an easy place to be, where we sit back and make quick judgments on people, where we pull people down and, or even at times ridicule others. And if we jump into this story of Jesus with his disciples... He kind of calls them out of sitting in the seat of mockers in a way. He has this moment of 
catching his kids, like doing the wrong thing. Well, they're not his kids, but you know, it's like that. You know, they might be like, it's like they're scheming this other plan and then Jesus walks in the room and they're like, what is happening? You know, you can imagine, I think we've all been there as kids when you kind of get found out and you're like, what are you doing? Nothing, you know, and we've all been in that. And it's kind of like, like you read the Bible and it's like Jesus has this moment. Hey, what were you talking about along the road? And, you know, the crickets uh, make their noises and, you know, it's like uh, nothing. Well, they were arguing about who was the greatest. I mean, it seems like a silly argument, but it's something I think we all kind of do in some sort of way. We like to, in a sense, point out, even just to ourselves, to help ourselves feel better, how we are better than others. You know, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, at least I didn't make those choices or I don't have those problems. We like to see ourselves, and I think it's a human way to see ourselves as better than others. And what we do to kind of do that is if, as we point out people's faults, we feel like that makes us stand up and look better. And that's, that's how we naturally act. But I, I, I find that actually the more we push people down, the more we end up going down ourselves. And that's where it is a bit of a dangerous place to be. And I think Jesus is wanting to point this out to his people. I mean, we even see then in this James passage that he emphasizes this even stronger Where's that James verse? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I mean, James does not mince words there, does he? He's like, this is bad. I mean, and I think if we were going to talk about it, just being, you know, envious or having some sort of selfish ambition... Man, that doesn't sound like one of the big sins. But here, James says that it is unspiritual and demonic. And he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Whoa. Pretty strong words from James there, isn't it? And when you kind of put this in context of Psalm 1, We see why the blessed don't go down this path. Don't take this road. Don't sit in that seat. But offers a better alternative. Blessed, rather, are those who delight in the law of the Lord. Now, this sounds a little bit of a funny phrase, law of the Lord, But really, it's a poetic way of the psalmist. You see it throughout psalms all the time. And it's a poetic way of the psalm saying the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, is really what is referred to as the law of the Lord. And when you think of those first five books of the Bible, that yeah, there are lots of laws, like little commands, and maybe not always little commands, but lots of commands in there. But there's also just a big story going on. And so when you're looking and delighting in this, you're delighting in this story of God. 
This God who is the God who's the creator, who wants to be in relationship with his creation, especially humanity. You have this story of a God who chose a man named Abram, and through this man was going to create a people who he was going to bless, bless to be a blessing. And this story of bringing hope and life to the, to the whole world that was broken, this God of promise. And then you get this God who rescues his people from slavery. You know, they were bound there and they couldn't get themselves out, but there's this God who, who does miraculous things to see his people rescued. This is just a little bit of what it means to delight in the law of the Lord and to sit in this big story of God. And it says that the, the blessed don't just know these stories, but they meditated, meditate on it day and night. How many of you are opening up your Bible and reading and getting into the story of God day and night? The sense that I'm not just, I just don't know these stories, but I'm immersed in them. My life is, you know, in a sense, bookmarked by this story. My story is, is found deep in God's story. And it informs the way we live. And then in through this, Verse 3 says that we become a beautiful, thriving, vibrant, solid, healthy, and fruitful tree. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I mean, who reads that and goes, oh, no, I don't want that in my life. Like we want to have a, you know, we want our lives to like represent this tree that's like seems unmovable, right? And that's the picture the psalmist gives here. And I think Jesus wants his followers to live this flourishing and fruitful life too. And so in this moment in Mark chapter 9, he uses this discussion, this discussion of them, you know arguing who's going to be the greatest, he uses this to be a teaching moment. It says, sitting down. Now, when a rabbi sits down, this is like, this is a teaching moment. Take, take notice. What I'm about to say is good, right? I'm about to do a mic drop on you here, right? And it, 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 I'm going to say something important. And so what does he say? He said, Jesus called the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This call to, be a, to live a servant life, a life of humility. Now, humility is not a natural human action or not a natural human position. And often the first step we think in humility is rather than starting to point out the problems in other people, we start trying to point out the problems in ourselves. And we think if we make ourselves lower, then that will help. But that's not what humility is. I think being a servant is, is, is recognizing it's more, about, more than myself, but it's more about others. 
It's about looking to push others up, not pushing ourselves or others down. What it looks like is working for the best for other people. It's about becoming somebody else's cheerleader. It's about putting a 10 out of 10 on people's heads and treating them like that. It's like saying, how can I help you be better? That is what it is to have humility and to become a servant of others. And then Jesus takes it that step further and brings into this conversation this little child. He says he takes that little child and he places them among them. And he says to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You want to have a deep relationship with God? Who are the least? The little children were the ones that were, the, you know, they were kind of a nuisance, right? I mean, once they grew up into adults, they're okay, but, you know, let's, let's put them aside. They were, they, were, they were kind of like an inconvenience, right, till they got useful. And I think, you know, in our society, we have a, a lot better view of children than probably they did then. But still, I mean, they're, they're vulnerable, right? And I guess when we ask this question, who are the least, who are the vulnerable? And it's through working for the better of them and serving them, that we can then develop a richer, deeper relationship with God. Who comes to mind for you when you think of that? For me, I think, as I said, those that are vulnerable, children, I mean, they can be so helpless, right? And so many children end up in awful situations in our world, treated horribly, and we, like, that's not okay. People with disabilities, they could fit into this vulnerable category, couldn't they? The poor and homeless. Or what about the elderly that are left and forgotten in homes? Just having to fend for themselves or, you know, just left to die. Or maybe it's the indigenous in our community. But I ask the question, who comes to mind for you when you think of the most vulnerable, when you think of the least? You know, the Salvation Army, before we were the, one of the top trusted brands in the world, this really was what we were about. When it wasn't seen as admirable, we were working for those that were most vulnerable. Whether it was standing at the prison gates as the prisoner walked out, trying to lead them to a better life. Helping the homeless, fighting against sexual exploitation, fighting for freedom from addictions, or pulling the bodies off the battlefield. We did this all believing not to try and build a great reputation. We did this all believing that it, 
It was only possible through the power and love of Jesus. And you know, this was our sweet spot. This is what built that brand, was not caring about the brand, but caring about the people. And I believe that's this focus on making others better is where fruit comes from. So how can we apply this to our lives today? I'm not going to do this normally, but I feel there's an up, in, and out, um, I guess, application for us today. Up in how we connect with God. And I want to ask this question, how can you connect with God's story better today? Maybe there's something that you need to put in place that kind of, you know, morning and night that reminds you and helps you meditate and reflect on God's story and how that impacts your world. Or for in, who can you become a cheerleader for? Is there someone maybe that you, have you might have been pulling down or worried about or, you know, in a sense, thinking you're better than, that maybe you need to start looking for, like putting a 10 on their head and trying to help them become better? In a sense, take on that space of humility. And I guess out. In what ways can you look for the least or the most vulnerable in our community? And do something for them today. I think in all of these passages today, the real big thing is a call to a deeper relationship with God. Through his word, but also through the relationships and impact we can make in our lives and in our world. I believe Jesus wants to see us all become that fruitful and flourishing tree. And I kind of got this picture this week of Port Salvation Army being like a forest of trees fruitful for God's kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? And isn't that what we want? I think for me... A song has come into mind and it has this, it's called Hosanna and it's got this bridge in the song which says, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. I love that line, break my heart for what breaks yours. And that is indeed my prayer for us each today. That we would be the salt and light of, of Jesus in this world, standing tall like that flourishing tree for his kingdom, serving each other in humility and love, and serving our world, seeing the vulnerable uh, safe and secure. Let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power and your love towards us. And I pray today that you would indeed help us to be the people we can, the, the best people we can be. Lord, I pray that you would lead us away from the ways of the wicked. But by your grace and mercy, Lord, you would lead us to delight in your story. To become this flourishing and fruitful tree. Lord, I pray that right now you would place people and situations on our hearts for us to be your people in. Lord, we say sorry for the times we have pulled others down, where we have looked to, to, to push people down rather than pull them up. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed help us to become those servants that you have called us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.